0: Romans 4 verses 1 to 17. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works. Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness not only for the circumcised, Or also for the uncircumcised. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after but before and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believed but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law there is no transgression therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law but also to those who have the faith of Abraham he is the father of us all As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Yvette. Well read. Uh, I think uh, as Yvette read it, I just thought, yeah, this is kind of in the middle of a big argument, isn't he? He's explaining lots of things, but we're going to work our way through it and see in these different sections some profound truths. Uh, Well, let's pray that we do. Father, we uh, have prayed already in the words of the song that you'd open the eyes of our hearts, and we pray now that uh, the words on the page would be real to us, would be alive to us, would make sense to us, that you would speak to us and show us uh, your purposes for us and for the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you agree uh, if someone said to you, um, if something's really worth having in life, you've got to work for it. Would you agree with that statement? Some people have just said yes and nodded their heads, which helps me to see. But the thing is, I would say, I've deliberately tried to be tricksy, Think about that. If something's really worth having in life, you've got to work for it. Is, is that actually true of some of the things that are really worth having? What about loving relationships? Sure, you've got to work at them, but you can't buy them and earn them, can you? What about fresh air, beautiful sunsets, um, health? there are things that we have which are gifts to us, which are the most precious things, actually. And so Romans 3 is going to delve into this category, sorry, Romans 4, Romans 3 comes before it. Uh, this whole book prepares us for the fact that the, the very greatest thing uh, we can have in life, the very best thing, eternal life, a life with God that starts now and lasts forever, that that is a gift That we need to receive. To be part of his family, to be a royal prince or princess, if you like that kind of language. And Romans is uh, preparing us for this, is what we're sort of delving into it. I'll I'll explain why in a moment. But it's preparing us for the fact that this is possible. Uh, There's a big question that needs to be answered how can people who are sinners be part of the family of God? That's a really big question. People who do the wrong thing, how can God accept us when he's holy, 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 as we've just been singing? And uh, if you didn't realise that we're not, well, it's on the facing page, chapter 3, verse 23. All, that's all, isn't it, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you and me and the whole human race. If God's holy, we're falling short of holiness How, when God hates that, he hates the way we go wrong, we do harm to each other and the world, he will punish sin. How can he say, well, come and be my children anyway? And this is the wonderful news, the wonderful truth that the first three chapters of Romans prepare for, and we get to it in verses 24 and 25. We read verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And that's our focus this morning, is how do we receive the blessing, the mercy, the salvation, the righteousness and gift of God, this eternal life? And we're focusing on the fact that it's by faith alone. Not faith and works. Not works at all. But faith alone. I wonder how that sounds to you. Does that sound too good to be true, that the gift of God, eternal life, being part of his family, a royal prince, a royal princess, is yours as a gift by faith alone. Does that sound, if it does, then Romans chapter 4 is written for you, and for me too, from my heart, when I ask, gosh, is that really, is, really? Is it that good, the gospel? Yes it is. Paul's aware of those doubts, those questions we will have, and not least the questions his fellow Jews will have which is why he goes all the way back to Abraham, the the father of the Jewish nation, to show, as we go back into the Old Testament, this is not some new idea. This is not some novelty he's come up with. This is as old as Abraham, that God saves people who put their faith in him. That's always been his plan. So let's zoom in to Abraham, and we discover in the first eight verses that, um, well, how not to be justified. And part one of it in the first eight verses is not by our own efforts. Uh, let's read again, verse one. What should we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God, I, before other people, because he was better than others. What does scripture say, though? Verse three, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So if you've worked hard, you've, you've worked hard in life, you've earned a million pounds, or a million euros, or millions, I don't know, a lot of money. You could, if you were minded to do this, become boastful about that. You could say, oh, I'm a millionaire, I'm, a, no, I'm better than that, I'm a self-made millionaire. Don't you know? You could be quite boastful. If, however, a rich and generous stranger I mean, it would be lovely to meet more of these. But if a rich and generous stranger came along and said, here you are, here's a million pounds for you, for no apparent reason, just because I want to give it to you. Well, again, you'd have something to talk about, you'd still be a millionaire, but you wouldn't be boasting about it as though you'd done something. You'd be saying, well, I don't know. I don't understand why, but, it, but it's true, look, look at my bank account, look. Wow. It'd be a very different conversation you'd have with people, wouldn't it? Because it wouldn't be by works. It would be by a gift. So follow it again. Verse 4. To the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. So um, those of us who are going to go to work this week uh, and uh, hopefully get it paid at the end of the week or the end of the month, I don't think any of us are planning to write a thank you note to our employer, are we? Thank you so much for my wages this month. I'm really grateful. You've earned them. Yeah, that's how it works, isn't it? Verse 4. It's an obligation. However, verse 5, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Do you see? It's two very different things. To receive righteousness, credit before God, without having worked at all, just by trusting him, Well, that's very different. That's definitely a thank you note. That's definitely a whole lifetime of thanksgiving, isn't it? Work versus gift. That's the contrast here. So let's go back as old as Abraham. How was he justified? Well, it says, doesn't it? He believed God and it was credited. He trusted. God made a promise and Abraham said, "Okay, I trust you, God. And God said, that's all I was looking for. You are now righteous in my sight before me forever. It's amazing. We're remembering um, the um, 500 years um, since some of the events that kicked off the Reformation in Europe. And uh, if you haven't picked up one of these yet, uh, it's a super little uh, summary of... um, uh, of some of what the discoveries were and this uh, the freedom movement that came from uh, the rediscovery of some of the truths in the Bible. Um, we focused a bit on a guy called Martin Luther um, who, uh, as those of you here a few weeks ago, you may remember he became a monk after nearly being struck by lightning in a thunderstorm. He was terrified in this thunderstorm and said, if I survive it, I'll become a monk. And so he did. Um, and once he did, he devoted himself to the three ladders that the medieval church said will get you to heaven if you work at these. Uh, study and scholarship, and he worked hard at that, he was very good at it, he was very bright. Uh, good works, caring for the poor and the needy. And also um, religious rituals. Um, uh, he devoted he, 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 the harder the better for Martin Luther, as far as he was concerned. On the, he would he wouldn't sleep on the bed in his in his uh, monk cell. He would sleep on the stone floor because he thought you know that would that would be better. He went on pilgrimage to Rome, which in those days was a massive endeavour. Uh, Easy Jet didn't fly to Rome in those days. You had to get yourself there. And when he got himself there, he he did all the things. He climbed up the steps of St Peter's on his knees, kissing everyone as he went. But here's the surprise. I think to a lot of people they think, gosh, you know, he was so sincere, so earnest. That must have got him closer to God. But no. He, he still fell a very long way from God. The, the terror he had in the thunderstorm of not being ready if he'd have died to meet God, he still had after climbing up the steps of St. Peter's on his knees. He knew that he'd done wrong and he was guilty before a holy God. He spent hours confessing his sins in the monastery so that he wore out his superiors because he kept on going back again and again for fear. Oh no, I thought of another one. I don't want to die with unconfessed sin. Um, he was 26 when he started to lecture at the University of Wittenberg. He lectured on the Psalms, on Galatians, and on this book we're looking at Romans. And as he was lecturing, it was that that God used to open his eyes. He'd he'd spotted this phrase, righteousness of God, and he thought that's terrifying because God's righteous and we all fall short. But then he saw that this phrase, righteousness of God, was being used differently in the book of Romans, where it says in the first chapter, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed it dawned on him that the righteous God was giving righteousness to his people to make them righteous before him. And he realised that all God was looking for was faith, trust, to receive it. Previously he said, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly I was angry with God. But when he realised this truth, he said, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise through open gates. That's the discovery. he may do read more if you haven't uh, picked up one of these already. They're on the bookstore. Uh, uh, they're free to take away, so do uh, grab them. We'd like to run out, please. But what Martin Luther discovered 500 years ago, Abraham had discovered thousands of years ago, it's always what God's people discover. It's what He wants them to discover. Verse 6, uh, David is another example Paul uses. King David. He says the same thing. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Look at the end of verse 6. There's a key phrase there. God credits righteousness apart from works. Works have got nothing to do with it, it's a gift eternal, infinite righteousness in Jesus Christ. Now, ironically, I think that that can sound like bad news for good people, or at least people who are good compared to other people. And I think that many of our neighbours in North Kensington are those kind of people. They're very nice people. They're very well-educated people. Um, They really do try hard to be the best family people they can be, the best they can be in life. And it's challenging, this message, because it says, even when that's the case, all of us fall short of the glory of God, of the, of the holiness of God, the righteousness which is his character, his personality. We all fall short of that. So even though there are lots and lots of good people that we know who don't trust Jesus well, we're saying to them, well, maybe I'm not as good as you are, actually, but we all fall short. And that's a hard message to hear. But when we realise that God doesn't say that to embarrass us, he says it because he wants to lift us up. He wants to humble us in order to lift us up. And once we realise, yes, okay, I do fall short. I am bad, actually, or there's bad in me then we might be willing to admit our sin and to go to Jesus Christ. And we will discover when we do that that we're not excluded anymore because in Christ the sin is paid for and righteousness is given to all those who put their faith in him. How are we justified? Not by our own efforts, not by our own works. Verses 9 to 15, not by religion either. I mean, this is another big surprise, I think, for people. Even God-given religion, like the Jewish faith was, is not what makes people right with God. So we see that in verses 9 to 11. Every Jewish boy, um, he would have been taught that he was special, that he was, had a an unique privilege being Jewish, one of God's people. He was circumcised as a child, and he was given the law of God to keep. But neither circumcision nor law-keeping are what puts people right with God. So, in verse nine to ten, nine and ten, Paul asks a really good question we 've been saying that abraham 's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? after he was circumcised or before, then he gives the answer not after but before, and if you read Genesis, it was fourteen years before. So go on let 's do a timeline. Um, Abraham believed God and credited to his righteousness. Fourteen years later, he received a sign of circumcision. So for that fourteen-year period, if Abraham had died in a thunderstorm and been struck by lightning, he was righteous, right with God. The circumcision thing was only later as a sort of sign and seal of what he already had with God. And what his story shows us and the point of Paul telling it is that what really counts was his faith not anything that happened later. And what it means is you and I don't need to become Jews to be right with God which is very good news for the men in the congregation because circumcision is not necessary to be right with God. But of course for us the specific issue isn't circumcision. Do you see the principle here? Um it means that anything that God has told people to do that's right, the right thing to do as it was for Abraham um, it all, or he, he gives us instructions, doesn't he, about baptism um, or about communion. These things that God teaches us uh, about, they're not the things that make us right with him. They're rather the sort of sign and seal of the things that make us right with him, the thing that makes us right with him is as we receive what Jesus has done through faith. So we aren't justified by religion. And the same applies to the law. If you look at verse 13, uh, it uh, starts to explain it's not through the law. Um, You see, what Abraham and God... God said to Abraham, a promise, I'll give you a child. It wasn't a sort of conditional thing. If you obey my law, then I'll bless you. He just said, I will bless you. And Abraham said... All right then. And God said, brilliant. That's all I was looking for. You put your faith in me. So I'm now free to bless you. See, justification is by faith alone, or through faith alone. The law, that comes actually 430 years after. If we look on the timeline, we've got faith, circumcision, law, way, way, way in the future. It came to guide and govern God's people, but the essence of it is still the faith. And that's such good news because if you look at verse 15, God's law makes demands which we transgress, and so we incur wrath. But verse 16, God's grace makes promises which we believe, and that results in blessing. So I wonder this morning, a moment of reflection, just ask yourself which best represents my relationship with God, if, if if you have one. Is it based on law or promise? Is it is it that as I kind of try and live the week, I, I I sometimes feel I'm doing really well and God's pleased with me, and then I do badly, and oh, God must be really angry with me and. Oh gosh, how do I make it right? Is it it based on law or is it based on promise? The promise that Christ has come and died and paid for all of our wrongdoing and through faith we receive that and we receive blessing, which is the relationship you have with God at the moment. How not to be justified, not by our own efforts, not by being religious. And finally, the positive, how to be justified, that's the last section, verse 18 to 25, by trusting, not by trying. By trusting, that's an equivalent word to faith, isn't it? Trust, belief, faith, it's the same, uh, same idea. And it's faith alone is the way that we receive this gift Uh, And again, Abraham's a brilliant example. The whole chapter uses him as an example. This time, it's the um, focusing in on this uh, promise that he received, uh, that he and Sarah were going to have a baby. Uh, If you look at uh, uh, verse 19, he was about 100 years old when he received this promise, and uh, Sarah wasn't far behind. And yet, when God said, you're going to have a baby... Abraham, if you look down to uh, verse 20 and 21, he believed, okay, and verse 21 explains, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. See that? Uh, There's a wise pastor of a church who had this exactly right. There's a lady uh, who, at the end of the service, said to him one Sunday, you know, pastor, I find it really hard to believe And he said to her, whom? Whom do you find it really hard to believe? You see, if we're talking about the God who made everything and that God making us promises, then surely... Whatever he promises, whatever we discover in the Bible in black and white is a promise that we can believe because like Abraham discovered and knew, surely he has the power to do what he's promised, doesn't he? Whatever we read here, whatever disappointments, tragedies, tensions are gonna, we're going to have to live through, Abraham had to live through a lot of that. He was over 100 when he had his son well, if God can fulfill that promise to Abraham surely he can fulfill his promises to us see what Paul's talking about with faith here, he's not going all Hollywood on us with, when he's talking about faith, he's not saying oh, we need to find something within ourselves you know, a sort of faith thing, we need to sort of sing rousing songs until oh yeah, 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 yeah I've got some I've got some now, I've got some He's not talking about some sort of liquid or substance. He's talking about an action where we put our faith in someone in particular, namely Jesus. And actually not just in someone in particular, in something in particular that Jesus has done, namely his death for us. So the centrepiece of everything, if we look back just again one more time to 24 and 25 of chapter 3... The centrepiece is that we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And it's there at the end of verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That's his death. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Do you see? How do you get right with God? By faith alone. Not faith and works. Not faith and religion. Not faith and anything else. By faith alone. How do you get right with God? In that way. How do you stay right with God? In the same way. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, Paul says elsewhere. How do you get right with God? How do you, stay, how do you grow in your relationship? How, how will you get to the end? It's all the same way. We walk the whole Christian life by faith in the Son of God. And we receive one blessing after another as we continue to walk by faith alone. And God continues to speak to us and guide us and fill us with his Holy Spirit to lead us on. So how are you getting on with that? Just as a a, a reflection as we close. Uh, Verse 25, if you flick over the page to, to verse 25, you find there a promise. God makes a promise. Let me read it. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Okay? That's a description, but it's got elements of promise, is not it? That God did that, that Jesus achieved that. So let me ask, as you read verse 25 of Romans chapter 4, do you believe that? Do you believe that when it says our, it includes you? If so... You are righteous. You are infinitely, eternally, unshakably righteous before God. If you don't, it's there for you too, if you will receive it through faith. Simple trust in Jesus Christ. See, Romans 4 isn't simply an ancient history lesson. It's how God justifies men and women today as well as back then. Look up to verse 23. The words it was credited to him, meaning Abraham, were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. It turns out that the very best thing it is possible to have in this life and in eternity is the free gift of a status, an identity, to be righteous, to be justified, to be forgiven, to be a son, a daughter in the family of God, a royal prince, a royal princess. We don't have to work for it and earn it. In fact, we can't. So if we've realised that today, I've been trying and trying and trying. I've been like Martin Luther of old, trying to do the equivalent of walking up the steps of St Peter's on my knee. If, if you've been trying that, then today could be a, an incredible day of realising from the scriptures, not from me, but from the scriptures, that you don't need to do that. But God's not looking for that. He's looking for you to receive his love and his favour by, by faith. And for those of us who do know this, do we live like this? Do we love like this? Do we sing like this? Do we pray like this? Because that's what God wants for us, is to walk out as the week, knowing his favour, that we are freed and justified to live by faith. This is why this uh, history of what happened 500 years is called Freedom Movement. We want to be those who can say with the Apostle Paul, this life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh man